You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Dude, I feel like Nelly. Because it is hot. Because it's getting hot in here. <laughs> hot in her. Uh, it is like 80 degrees in Chicago right now. Shocking for April. To, I guess tomorrow it's going to snow. Um, I just ate a Lindor truffle and the inside was completely melted. Ew. It was delightful, actually. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Well, um, as long as you enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Um, no, it was just a surprise. I don't know if it snows tomorrow. It's supposed to be warm. <laughs> it's supposed to be warm again tomorrow, but next week we're back in the forties and it's like, you can't win, you know, Chicago said, stay humble. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Every day I, I wake up in the city. It's like, don't think you're getting that far. And I'm like, got it. Cool. No, check that off the list. Chicago really likes to temper the joy because it is like a palpable feeling when the weather gets really nice. Like there's this energy in the air and then Chicago's like enough of that. Yeah. Back you to the forties. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the vibes. And, like, they're a little stifled this year because of the pandemic. But, mm-hmm. like, today when I was out on my run, which turned into a walk, <laughs> I was a little hungover hey. this morning. <laughs> when I was out on my walk, um, there were so many people. It was, you know, just neighborhood Unibu. abundant. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, masked up and little babies and little baby masks, which are the cutest thing in the world. I wish they weren't so sad. Baby masks are so... They're, like, baby mittens or baby shoes. Because they're just tiny. They're it's so crazy that humans get that small. How do yeah. they get that small? Um, when I see a baby, I'm like, at some point in my life, I was that small? Impossible to comprehend. Especially considering how big I am now. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm a tall lady. Um. I don't know. I feel like the vibe is getting increasingly good because I feel like a lot of people are currently getting vaccinated. You and I got our first vaccinations this week. Yes. And my arm hurts significantly less than it did this morning. So thumbs up. Yeah. That first like 12 hours after I got my vaccine, I was not doing great, but I feel good now. Mm-hmm. despite the hangover and i implore any of you guys who haven't already gotten your vaccination and are eligible in your city to go out and get on a list and go do it and do not be discouraged because it took me a full month after becoming eligible to get an appointment so just keep at it i got mine y'all just kind of by accident got it through work so uh-huh yeah some of you may be so lucky but not me listen like <laughs> i feel like the universe shits on me so often. That was just one bone I needed, you know? Just like your one W. Yeah. I, yeah. Sometimes you need one dub. And mm-hmm. that was my one dub was my vaccine. And then I'll be fully vaccinated by the end of this month. May 3rd, baby. And I'm, we're not going to stop wearing our masks, though. We're going to still be chill about it. We're going to be cool. About oh, it. yeah. And if you thought that once we got our vaccinations, we were going to stop talking about COVID on this podcast, you would be wrong. No. Oh, this podcast being the Teen Wolf Rewolf, a podcast where we do a book report on Teen Wolf and then also give the worst explanation of current events. Yeah. Um, we try. We haven't a lot of political things to say lately, which is all right. Also, just like an insane thing, because I feel like for the last four years, uh, the only things I've had to say have been incredibly political. Um, not that we should not stay vil- vigilant. We, I mean, yeah. Uh, and very much am. A, a little bit of it is like the things that are happening are not coinciding with recording days. Yeah, true. It used to be that anything that happened coincided <laughs> with a recording day because shit was happening every day. Every day. Yeah. Now, not so much. Nope. Yeah. But we persist. Um, this episode called Perishable. It is the ninth episode of season four. We are in the home stretch. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was fun. Yes. Um, it was directed by Jennifer Lynch again. Love her. Girl power. Um, and but not enough girls in this episode. True. 
True. Um, written by Eric Wallace, a black man. Cool. Um, I cannot remember seeing a black man writer on the show before. Angela Harvey, of course, noted incredible black lady writer. Um, so someone can correct me if I'm incorrect, but that was cool that to is cool. see. Um, he's also written for Eureka and The Flash. Cool. People mm-hmm. like The Flash. My sister liked The Flash. Yeah, I feel like, the crazily enough, the DCCW shows like get a lot of hype and a lot of praise. We still haven't watched Tyler Hecklin's new one. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna. It's so funny because I, I think everybody else's like, things that they've done outside of Teen Wolf, I'm like, yeah, I'll get to that eventually. Mm-hmm. I think I saw half of the first Maze Runner movie. I but just... Tyler Hecklin's <laughs> Superman show, we're watching. Yeah, Beyond, like, Star Trek, um, science fiction doesn't really interest me. And so the Maze Runner, I'm like, eh, whatever. But Superman, two thumbs up. Yeah, I read the book. I read the Maze Runner. Could never get into it. That was one of those books that I, like, read in, like, a day because I just kept reading it in class and then, like, failed all my tests that week. Mm. You know... High school was crazy. (laughs) You knew that you were enjoying a book or that a book was good if you felt compelled to read it during class. You knew a book was good if it got taken away from you in class. Mm -hmm. Which happened to me a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, And now I do this podcast. I think that's actually the natural (laughs) progression of things. The pipeline, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) Of kids who read books in school. Yeah. Like during class. The math math class novel readers to Teen Wolf podcasters pipeline. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's many out there. Very industrious. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that there are, uh, I'm pretty sure half our listeners were like, yeah, I used to do that too. Yeah. That's why we're all here. Speaking of our listeners, I do want to say a quick thank you to everyone who's given us a coffee this week um, and the people who gave us a coffee last week. If you want to buy us a coffee, you do not have to. No. But it does make our hearts sing, and we are exceptionally appreciative. And I just want to give a special shout-out to anybody who has donated anything to this podcast, because that is literally insane to us. Um, when I get the notification in my email, it like my heart skips a beat for yeah. a moment. It's like hookah banana bread. Yeah. The two best feelings in this apartment are that, um, and then reviews on iTunes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, they'll, they'll show up at midnight, and I'll be, like, slamming your bedroom door, being like, guess what? We got a review! Got a review. Not recently. No. But maybe, right, Did you just guilt trip them? Maybe, <laughs> maybe someone. Maybe. Maybe someone out there. Um, back to Teen Wolf. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've set the tone for this episode to not be very much about Teen Wolf. We'll see how that goes. Back to Teen Wolf, we're talking about Perishable, but before we really dig into it, we do have to do the 60-second recap. Legitimately, I forgot that that was a thing we were going to have to do. Uh, who's, am I going for? I don't know. <laughs> I think it might be me. I think it, I think it is you. Okay. Um, and I'm not just saying, I am literally trying to remember what the... Uh... Le- okay, well, let's just... Let's say if I go first, you have to go first two times in a row, too. Like, we'll just... It's fine. Just in cases? Yeah, just in cases. Okay. All right. Well, are you ready to recap this episode that we just watched? That we just watched? No. Yeah. Nope. That we literally concluded watching 10 minutes ago. Okay. Um, You have one minute on the clock starting now. Okay. So, Haig tries to burn Parrish alive, and then Styles and Lydia are trying to convince the sheriff that uh, Lorraine was the benefactor, and then Parrish throws back up and is like, I lived, bitch, and he's also naked. That's fun. Uh, Derek, like, explains everything to Parrish, and he's like, and gives him, like, the scoop about, like, the supernatural, and then uh, Styles and Lydia are at, uh, Styles and the sheriff are at the hospital, and they have their money problems conversation, and then... um, 
the Deadpool starts printing from Liam's printer and he really freaks out. And then Lydia and, and uh, Styles are trying to figure out like Lorraine's like, or t- Lydia tells the story of Lorraine's like Banshee power to everybody. And then Scott um, like talks to Derek about his gun and Derek tells Scott that he doesn't have any powers anymore. And then Liam and Mason talk about the bonfire that's going to be happening. And Liam's like hallucinating and like freaking out. And Scott, it, St- Styles and Lydia try to crack the last code, and then Lydia figures out like the the c- cipher, and it's like a list of names, and they figure out that they're all people who used to be in Eichenhaus. And then Scott tells uh, Malia, finds Malia at the bonfire, and she's like, "I'm drunk," and he's like, "You can't be drunk. We don't get drunk." And she's like, "No, I'm drunk right now." And then they go to I- Styles and Lydia go to Eichenhaus, and they find out that Brunsky. Oh, I thought it like was like halfway. Damn, I thought it was really huffing it. We um, have said for like the last couple of episodes that everything happens so much. Everything happens so much um and this is no exception nope nope shall i start from the beginning or um you could do from the middle on From the middle onward. i feel like if, if i had gotten like two i usually get like two thirds so it's not mm-hmm. worth it but like yeah. mm, that one was not very far okay but let me find the middle of my notes um okay found it mm-hmm. cool you have a minute on the clock Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yes. Cool. One, two, three. Okay, so at the bonfire, Mason is trying to figure out what's going on with Liam. Lydia and Styles uh, go to see the mean orderly at Eichenhaus because they're thinking that they can bribe uh, their way into getting to the records room. Um, Liam and Malia like, legitimately get drunk and they can't figure out why. Um, Styles and Lydia, once they actually finally get into the records room, get tased by the mean orderly, whose name is Brunsky. Um, Brayden starts questioning Haig about, you know, trying to kill Parrish, basically. Um, and then... Oh my god, the music is what's getting to the werewolves at the party. Brinsky um, is making Lydia listen to the tape of him literally murdering her grandmother because he murdered all of those other people on her list. Um, Malia and Scott and Liam get kidnapped and then covered in gasoline because these random security men are like, we have to kill you because we're getting your money from the Deadpool because Liam is now worth $18 million. Um, Brunsky decides that he's going to try to kill Lydia and styles mason finally cuts the music and so um derek and Braden show up to get the save the day um but scott like starts helping them anyway because he is fully cured um paris shows up and shoots brunsky that is a minute my friend i felt like i had more time because i was in the middle uh but no yeah but we this is the closest we've gotten to the end of an episode in a while (laughs) and all we have to wrap up is that Parrish shoots Brunsky after he's like, you you know, like you've never shot a gun before as if Parrish is not literally a veteran of <laughs> the, the United States Army. The Iraq War? Yeah, I, I guess. guess. That's the only un, one un, that makes sense. And unspecified war in the Middle East. Yeah. It's just always constantly happening. Yeah. Um, and then Meredith. Reveals herself to be the benefactor. Is back, baby. And she was like, I was controlling him. Her to der. She seems very put together, very composed, very sinister with it um, yeah for the first time ever yes indeed interesting mm-hmm. so we're gonna be talking about this episode through the theme of confrontation people there's a lot of sort of interpersonal confrontation as well as like sort of big you know things that happen is plot wise um you know we see scott talk to malia for the first time since she's found out about peter we see Mason and and Liam have to hash out, you know, the things that have changed about their friendship because Liam has not been honest with him about his new werewolf powers. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the sheriff and and Styles have to talk about their money problems. You know, it's a big, a big sort of a sort of coming together type of episode. Um, appropriate for the, as we round out the final couple episodes of the season and wrap up the Deadpool plot before we go back to Mexico. Where would you like to start? 
Mexico, um, I'm sure. Uh, Mexico. Well, I figure we could kind of start with um, the sheriff. Um, he's the only adult that really makes much of an appearance in this Parrish is technically an adult. Uh, yes, but they, they really do a lot to try and loop him in with the teenagers. I know. Ugh. Yikes. Um, but, you know, because the money problems is like our least favorite plot, let's just uh, talk about that first. Um, yeah, so they actually have what is, I think, a really important conversation for the two these two to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, when Styles is like, how am I supposed to take care of you? I think pretty much any person who is the child of a single parent has had that feeling before where it's like I have to take care of my parent mm-hmm. um like I because I'm the other person in this household or you know whatever what have you um so we know that Styles has long had I don't know if you guys can hear the music that's blasting out of our window it kind of sounds like mariachi music um people have been having uh, the weather as aforementioned is lovely so people have just been driving around with their windows down and their music up full blast all day yeah all day party hard chicago anyway uh you know styles has had you know said before that he um takes care of his dad and when he's dad when he says that to his dad in the hospital you can tell that the sheriff is like embarrassed to hear that you know he doesn't want to think that he isn't taking care of of his son in the way that he is supposed to Mm -hmm. um granted the situation is exceptionally difficult because it includes the supernatural or whatever um but that is why he hasn't told styles about the money problems and why styles is 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 snooping around to figure it out for himself and this moment of confrontation is really interesting to me because i think a lot of the times in teen shows parents are either like uh, a hindrance or like an agent of furthering the plot somehow. Mm-hmm. But like to see so much active parenting in this show is really interesting. And that inherently breeds conflict and confrontation. Yeah. We've talked a lot of before about really loving when the adults get to be involved in all of the supernatural stuff. Um, and, it is because they are such active parents. Like there's no way that these kids can kind of get away with not, uh, sharing certain things. And so, um, we're not just relying on the interactions with the teens themselves to kind of further the plot and to, and for understanding of like who these people are, which is really cool. Um, and also like any, any good parent doesn't want their kid to have to worry about money problems. Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially hard for the sheriff because I think he's watched Styles feel like he has to grow up so quickly. And perhaps like the money problems, particularly in light of like everything supernatural that's been happening, like that was the one thing that he could kind of keep Styles from worrying about. Mm-hmm. And to find out that he's known all along is like crushing. Yeah. It's so upsetting. Yeah, and he even says, like, I'm the dad, I'm supposed to take care of you. And Styles, who is, you know, digs his heels in and just about everything, is like, no, we take care of each other, which is true, as should be true in, like, an emotional sense. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, Styles, like, he is your dad, and, like, Styles puts so much responsibility on himself that I think that, you know, that makes uh, the sheriff feel like he's not, you know, participating enough, um, that Styles has removed himself. Has, has has kind of grown far enough away from him that Styles is like involved in his own upbringing, mm-hmm. um, and the conversation ends in kind of a dumb way where he's like, "I'm stoned because of the morphine," and I I think we do revisit it a little bit, but it's really interesting. Um, I think in regards to how everybody kind of interacts with their parents, Scott and Scott's relationship with Melissa is not that. 
no, she is very, very clearly the adult yeah. in the room. And St- Scott wants to take care of her. Like, he wants to be a good kid. Mm-hmm. But that involves bringing her dinner yeah. It doesn't involve, I mean, like he knows about their money problems, but he doesn't, he has so many other responsibilities going on. Um, and I'm sure that I've talked about this before, how usually this particular dynamic of like a child who feels like they have to mother their father is, um, a dynamic between, uh, a daughter and a dad. Um, I think like clueless is one of the best examples of that where she's like, daddy, you have to drink your orange juice mm-hmm. or even, um, like in uptown girls, yeah. uh, when, you know, Dakota Fanning has to teach, you know, Brittany Murphy how to be an adult. Yeah. Um, it's usually like the burden of the very put together adult daughter or five-year-old that you're nannying, um, as opposed to like your son. Yeah. Which I just think is a very cool reversal. I agree. Um, and, uh, I think that now that that has come out, we're going to start seeing like, cause the thing about, you know, um, confrontation is that like, it is sort of the, the peak of like friction in these sort of, um, like familial and friendly interactions. And like, now that they've had this conversation, they can sort of move back into like the style sheriff stasis that we're so used to. Mm-hmm. It's necessary that this conversation happens so that they can go back to normal. Cause it's like out in the open. Yeah. And I feel like everyone who's most people who are experiencing some kind of confrontation in this episode, it kind of gets taken off track by something else. Like the sheriff is doped up on morphine. Scott and Malia are having this confrontation and then they get, music poisoned um so like they're given another tool to just move past that confrontation they just had yes um speaking of moving past things i a little bit want to talk about Parrish, mm-hmm. whose main confrontation is with the fact that he now has to actually think about the fact that he is supernatural and is very unsettled by the fact that nobody can figure out what he is mm-hmm. which yeah they burned him alive and he was like i'm good he had all his hair and everything yeah mm-hmm which is like, I, I a little bit, when they introduced the Hellhound, I think the first time I was like, oh my God, there's too many supernatural creatures. Like we've actually like, it's, it's jumping mm-hmm. the shark a little bit. Like he needs to be a werewolf or whatever. But then I start thinking about how cool the Hellhound is. And I'm like, no, mm, he's, no. he can stay. But he, you know, has to go through this whole thing where he now has to confront the fact that like he exists in a world so much bigger than his own. Yes, because previously he knows that there's like something off with Lydia and he just assumes it's because she's psychic, Mm -hmm. which is just a gross oversimplification of everything that's going on. And he hasn't even gotten the sit down at the chessboard yet. No, and he does. And I do want to know what the joke in the writer's room about the Canima is, that that's always the thing that catches the person being explained the supernatural <laughs> that they're like, no, I don't know what I can't. I, I don't understand the canima. I feel like, um, lizard man is a little too creepy. It's, it's like yeah. a lot to ask of someone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Parrish is clearly, uh, having some like internal confrontation. And then he also like kind of tries to murder the man who tried to murder him. Understandably. Um, oh yeah, I was really shocked yeah. that Haig was actually alive when it cut to that scene in the in the um it, the interrogation room. room. Yeah, interrogation room. Yeah, nary a black eye. No. And then Brittany's like, <laughs> how'd you break your nose? And breaks his nose. Okay, interesting to me actually that that scene even exists. 
sidebar. Mm-hmm. Because it sort of feels like it has no point, except for the fact that she would have to beat the shit out of Hague to know that those security guards are going to uh, kill Scott, because clearly they are in cahoots, as mm-hmm. they mention Hague. And I was like, whoa, Teen Wolf added a scene to actually explain something. For once, instead of them just showing up to save the day for no reason, they like put a scene in to explain how they got there. Weird. Crazy when that happens. Yeah, that did not even um, click for me. But I think that at a certain point on Teen Wolf, I'm like, I don't expect you to give me an explanation. Yeah, that's not why I'm here. It's not what we're doing here. No. No. Um, And then eventually Parrish um, confronts Brinsky. Like he does the, the bulk of that. Well, the the dying part of that confrontation. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is like Parrish is kind of coming to the conclusion that Brunsky is a day angel of death. Um, at the same time, like sort of concurrently as Styles and Lydia, but he's doing it because he's going through police records. And now that he ha- realizes that this world is a lot bigger than he thinks it is, he's going through these Eichenhaus records and realizing that Brunsky's name is on every single one of the death warrants. Um, doing some detective work detective because it's deputy deputy well it's his job and he's doing his job but you have to think that like without the conversation and the you know inciting events of this episode that he would have never even thought to start doing that um Mm -hmm. and it it's interesting to me that because he's been introduced to the world of the supernatural and has to confront that he's all of a sudden like the sheriff did looking at all of these old things and like looking so much broader at his casework because he now has a way bigger understanding of the world Oh, yeah. And this is kind of a a point of no return for Parrish because you can, I think, live your normal life just assuming that Lydia is psychic, but finding out that she's not psychic, she's a banshee, and Scott is a werewolf. Like, how do you go back to your normal everyday life after learning those things and then also after you know being like surviving attempted murder like how do you you can't he's part of the team now i keep thinking about why he was like well lydia psychic that's normal but it's like scott's a werewolf like where's like if i told you i was a psychic and would you just be like yeah but if i told you i was a werewolf you'd be like what um yeah i think it just depends on like what you're conception of a psychic is i guess wait i've got a question yeah what is the craziest supernatural creature i could tell you i was and have you believe me oh god um oh that's really really interesting probably a vampire only because i've seen you walking around in the daytime and that just like would not compute no i no well in the vampire diaries they've got a day walking ring interesting i wear a lot of rings you do that would be um, kind of a shock for me. I don't know. I, I feel like you have mermaid hair. Thank you. I feel like you could tell me you were a mermaid, and I'd be like, okay. That's a very nice compliment. Um, Aquamarine style, like tail sticking out of the bathtub. Yes. But what? But I'm, would I be like fairy tale mermaid or scary drag sailors to the death mermaid? Do you have a preference? Because I feel like I don't want to offend you. <laughs> um, not really. I, too, was very obsessed with The Little Mermaid, the movie, not the book. Ah, uh, yes. As a child. But I feel like I'd be comfortable with either one. Okay. You know. Good. Like, a little edgy, but, like, a little fun. Mm-hmm. That's what we're all going That's for, That's what I right? aspire to be. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back on track. Um, yeah, Parrish is, is all of a sudden, you know, con- con- confronting his new worldview, and that leads to him saving the day. Um, Ta-da. Lydia is also having her mind opened in a way that is incredibly 
tragic. I could not imagine listening to the snuff tape of somebody killing my grandmother. It is so traumatizing. Um, horrific. Uh, mm, disgusting. Like, I also think that, like, and you can correct me, that the tape that they actually play is relatively tame, and mm-hmm. that is good because if it were any darker or any, you know, scarier, it would have been way too unsettling to, to add in the episode. I would agree. And I'm, I'm not really sure, like, what it is about the fact that it is a a tape because we've watched people be murdered on Teen Wolf before. Um, we watch people get murdered on television for entertainment's sake all the time. I, th- I think the um, idea of like making a snuff tape because you're getting something out of killing somebody is what's just so insidious. And yeah. that's, that's, that's why it sits so, so darkly in the show. Like horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, poor, poor Lydia, because also, I mean, her just learning, trying to learn her banshee powers is so traumatic already. And then to be confronted with the reality of her mother, her grandmother's death. Um, and not, and you know, I'm sure it seems like that probably happened relatively recently because the picture that styles puts up on his murder board of the two of them, I mean, it's Holland Roden. Mm-hmm. It's not like a child yeah. that they got to take that picture. So I'm sure that perhaps Lydia is feeling like, Oh my God, I should have known I'm a banshee. Like I should have been able to stop this. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so like to be confronted, to be confronted with that. Terrible, terrifying. And like, I mean, so much of like, you know, grief includes blame, like self and like blaming mm-hmm. yourself. And this is, you know, sort of a universal truth. And that one is so, so much harder because I think Lydia knows that there has been times where her powers have been able to keep people out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when it's somebody who was taken from her and she's going through this with a person who took her, took her grandmother from her. It's, it's really, um, yeah, something that you, you know, you don't recover from, you know? And you know, this is obviously something that we're going to get into in the next season, but Lydia is going to have her own horrific experience at Eichen house very soon. Natalie, why did you do that to her? <laughs> um, by all other measures that we can see, the information that we are presented, Natalie is just a fine mom. She's just fine. Yeah, yeah. And then so, she goes and does that. Don't get it. Um, should we talk a little bit about Malia? Yeah. Another lady not having a great day. No. I am... Really interested in the way that, like, Malia on the surface seems like a very confrontational person, but is, like, her, sort of her whole character arc is running away from her problems. Oh, yeah. And also, like, Malia has spent the last eight years as a coyote in the woods, and so she comes out of that and finds her little found family at school, who are all like she is, except for, you know, styles, and, like... That is a place where she clearly senses belonging. And I think a lot of people who have had really traumatic experiences sometimes look for excuses to get out of whether whatever healthy relationship that they're in, like be, be it friendship, be it romantic. Mm-hmm. And that's like her excuse uh, is that they lied to her, which clearly is like incredibly harmful. It's really upset her. 
but it also, um, you know, is a reason for her to kind of walk away. Yeah, I mean, I think she's somebody who is always has an exit strategy because she, after, you know, having to her family can't get close to people without at least having a back door because it hurts too much to get close to people, obviously, in, in her position. And the sort of most interesting thing about it is even when she goes to talk to Peter and he's like, yeah, your friends are right about me because Peter is openly crazy. <laughs> she doesn't go back to them, you know? Mm-hmm. She stays on her own and it takes Scott... Cut- not like accosting her, but like coming up to her at the party being like, uh, hello. Um, we need to stick together. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. And anyway, um, I would have gone on the whole song. Yeah. I love you. It's so easy. Well. It's so good. Um, and even when Scott comes up to her and tries to confront her about sort of about like leaving, she's like, yeah, I just want to get drunk. I'm just here for, I'm just here for a good time. Relatable. Mm hmm. Um, but it is a way for her to kind of avoid that confrontation. You can't, you, we can't have this conversation. I'm not confronting you because I'm, I'm drunk. Uh, You were driving. Like I'm drunk. Yeah. 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 Well, and then like, uh, just the, the being incoherent automatically makes the conversation like, you know, Mm -hmm. void. So yeah. Um, and then I think in this you know, this puts her in a position where she has to confront the fact that she is going to need Scott because she almost gets murdered. Yes. I feel like uh, every one of our pack members has gone through that particular moment of realizing not just that they need Scott, but that they need like the whole pack that they can't make it out there as uh, an Omega. Yeah. I really was trying to think of um, a word that started with a Z because to me, that's the end of the alphabet. But no, no, um, like a Greek letter, you could have yeah, said yeah. Zeta, but I could have, but like, not it's not that correct. Is. It's no. not correct. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you, you can't make it out there. There are no, lo- no the lone world. wolves in Teen Wolf. No. Yeah. Um, and at, also at this party, we see the confrontation between Liam and Mason, which is so sweet. Mason, Mason is the loves best. Liam. And it really is, it's such a good contrast between what we saw between Scott and Styles, where at one, Styles is the one who was like, I diagnosed you as werewolf and has been in on it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And even though Liam has Scott and like is like, that's my dad, he doesn't have his best friend with him on this journey yet. And that's really isolating and sad. Yes, because how could Mason ever understand if Liam doesn't tell him? And Liam is going through so much. So much. So much. And Mason is far more gentle about it than Styles um, was and is. Styles is not a gentle human being. No, that's not why Scott loves him. No. Um, and basically just encourages Liam to get hammered because he just wants to know what's going on so that he can help. Yeah, he's trying to truth serum him a little yeah. bit. And he's like, I don't want to know this because I'm nosy. I want to know this because I want to help you. And of course, Liam... Liam, I think, internally knows that bringing Mason in on this will put him in danger. Yes. And this is a situation where Ma- where Liam has to confront whether or not he needs his friend enough to put him in that danger or if he can hold him at an arm's length and always have him in his life, but like safe and far, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a really hard decision to make. A really hard- it, it would feel so incredibly selfish to put somebody in danger for like your own emotional needs, I think. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I think the other um, side of that is that Liam is clearly so incredibly freaked out by the fact that his printer just started randomly printing the Deadpool and his number has gone up. He was worth... Three million. Three million. And now he's worth 18. Look and, at you, money bags. <laughs> um, and like we, we were just talking about the fact that no one gets to be an Omega in this world. No one gets to kind of go off on their own. But he is really coming to understand more fully, not just that like his life has changed and that is affecting like his personal orbit, but like he now has to interact with the rest of the supernatural world. And what does that mean for him? He's 15. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I a little bit um, am in a position to think that he and Mason have never had a spat in their friendship mm-hmm. before. I think that these they seem like sandbox friends who have just sort of always been really even keel. Even with Liam's anger issues, Mason is so solid. I mean, he rarely, you know. Yeah. Um, rarely lets anybody down. And that is uh, a huge... Dynamic shift, probably, because, like, Liam always had Mason to go to when dealing with his emotional problems, and now he's not, and that would be a huge red flag for Mason. Yes. Because, like, when your best friend just ran... When you have an established mode of communication and your best friend just randomly stops talking to you, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, get back here. Get back here. We have to talk about this. Yeah, or we don't (laughs) talk about it, but we sit in the same room on our phones not talking about it regularly, you know? Yeah. And there's just an unspoken we good yes, between the two of you. But that's not happening no. with Liam and Mason. No. Um, you mentioned that uh, Mason's or that Liam's Deadpool money went up. And that mm-hmm. is because he took on Derek's $15 million. Derek is no longer on the Deadpool. And is confronting the fact that he is going to die. And he's a little even keel about it uh, in a way that is kind of psycho-ish but <laughs> he like flat out looks at scott and like because scott is and because scott finally is like hey um you, the, you what's have the a deal gun? yeah yeah and he's like yeah all my powers are gone and lydia doesn't predict danger she predicts death and that's where i'm headed because clearly what kate did to me is still happening and i don't think that he's given up or anything but he seems a little bit like like Derek, I think it's this is more about like Scott confronting the fact that Derek has already sort of started accepting what's happening. It's very zen. Um but I also kind of um and this is why this is why I wish we knew more about Derek. I wish he had more screen time. I wish we were able to kind of delve into his inner world because it's relatively easy to kind of walk out what Scott is thinking and feeling. Um, and it's so much harder with Derek because there's just so much information that we don't have, but Derek clearly carries like a lot of residual guilt about having survived the fire that killed his family. And then also partially facilitating that because of his relationship with Kate. And now he's kind of come full circle in the sense that Kate did something to him that is going to kill him. And perhaps that is just penance for having survived before. Or maybe not penance, but, like, he is, you know, I think there might be a level of, like, well, I'm actually, like, death caught up with me. I can't I'm keep, supposed to yeah, be dead. I'm supposed to be dead. Yeah. Which is a thought that makes me sad. But I can understand where Derek would reach that conclusion, you mm-hmm. know? He's outlived everyone in his family except for Cora, and who knows where she is. And 
Peter. Peter died. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Like he, he didn't, did come like, back. Yeah. He did come. He, but back. But he did die first. Yeah. So. Um, I also think there's kind of an element of like, well, there's nothing that I personally can do about this because pretty much any other problem Derek has ever had, he has tried and failed to fix with blunt force. Yeah. I mean, I think this is sort of like Derek's little Spock moment of being like, I just need everyone to continue performing admirably. God. Yeah. Yeah. Because what else can Derek do? He doesn't have any leads on how to fix this. He just has um, a cool, badass girlfriend and a d- deep desire to help his friends. Mm-hmm. And Brayden is really, she's doing it. She's helping him. And perhaps that is why he he feels he could face it. He's not totally facing it alone. No. Um, not just with Brayden. He loves Scott also. He does love Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They bring, they bring Parrish to Derek first. Yeah. To be like, hey, buddy, what is this? Well, apparently Art, Scott doesn't know where Chris is. Um, I still think, we, yeah, we're Deaton. Where is Deaton? Where is he Deaton? is the worst the most emissary. Oh, my gosh. He's so unhelpful. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's like a con artist. I really do. He's so... Mm, I really thought he was evil for, like, the longest time because he's just... So unhelpful, and you know he knows more than he's I saying. I remember you kept being like, I think Deaton's evil. I think Deaton's evil. And I just didn't say anything because I'm not a spoiler person. No, but I, I just, they give, he gives that vibe. Yeah, but I, actually, when you said that, though, I was like, she's going to be disappointed when she, when she finds <laughs> out he's just kind of useless. Which yeah, is that like is worse. Annoying. Why didn't, like, okay, dear Teen Wolf writers, he could have been great. He could have been great. Well, and like, perhaps they were trying to kind of subvert the wise older man who knows everything like Deaton was not going to be the Giles of Teen Wolf no because Teen Wolf has a much larger cast than Buffy did and that's okay but there is something incredibly comforting about the fact that when they don't know what they're facing they go to Giles and Giles either knows what it is or pulls out his giant books and is like everybody research yeah why why couldn't Deaton be Bobby Supernatural <laughs> <laughs> Everyone on Supernatural who is not Sam or Dean Winchester, their last name name is is Supernatural. Supernatural. (laughs) Castiel Supernatural. Castiel Supernatural hyphen Winchester. (laughs) He doesn't have a middle name. He wouldn't even have to hyphen it. Supernatural just becomes his middle name then. Oh, good. And he becomes Winchester. But it's like a middle name that's kind of a joke, so it's in quotations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, should we move into Q's and O's? Let's do it. I have no questions because I think you asked my question. What was that? The Lydia one. How mm. does Lydia know all the Lorraine stuff? Yeah. No, you, yeah that I, was well, I wrote it your, down. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You were going to ask my question. Yes. Um, how does she know all that Lorraine stuff? How does she know? She didn't get that from the code. Is she just like banshee sensing? It's not like her mom would know. I mean, her mom would probably know about Maddie, which also, by the way, love that Lydia's grandma is a lesbian. Just random lesbians. Random. I hate that their story is really tragic. That sucks. I can't believe mm-hmm. they fridged a lesbian we've never <laughs> met. <laughs> it is genuinely bonkers. And I was saying this to you as we were watching this, that like I remember watching this episode for the first time. And I really do think it was when Lydia pulls out that whole long ass story from her grandmother that we have no idea how she knows it. And I started to think, am I having a stroke? Like, 
Did I miss something? I thought I missed something too. Did I and miss this an is episode? My, mm, like this is like my fourth time watching this episode. I do just black out season four <laughs> for some reason. Well, and this is this is the thing that's been like surprising me is we've been rewatching it, and I remember being really frustrated with season four once it had ended. But I've been having such a good time that I was like, I cannot remember what bothered me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and now and then that happened, and I was like, ah. Also, you know what I think is another thing? Does Kira starts, her powers start going on the fritz in like the next three episodes, right? I think if she's so. not in season five, why would they not just put that in season five? Just trying to cram it in at the end makes no effing sense. It makes no sense. But I mean, I think if you're going to write uh, Kira off the show, which is what they had to do, then that's what they have to do. Why did, did Arden Cho ask to be written off? I think she has to leave. Oh, like, I think she left. Oh, okay. And they were like, okay, well, we have to do something with Kira. But they also, I mean, they didn't kill her. They, like, put her away where they could bring her back if they wanted to. She comes back for an episode of season five. Uh, yeah, I can't remember that. I have not watched season five since the first time I saw season five. So. It's going to be a big journey. <laughs> really? Again, like, I can, I'm sitting here being like, boo, season five, maybe we'll like it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my other question, and perhaps this is something that gets answered for us later on and I've just forgotten, is can you kill a hellhound? No, I don't think you can. He is immortal? Well, I think we learn that his powers ignite because he gets blown away by an IED. Ah, oh, that would make sense. He, like, gets hurt lockered and, like, then comes back as a hellhound. I'm loving that hurt locker is ever... <laughs> That's not actually, that never yeah. happens to the Hurlocker, <laughs> but that's his job is he's a bomb, you know? Yeah, yeah. Anywho. Um, Those are all my my questions. The MCU gets a lot crazier when you consider the Hurtlocker a really weird Falcon Hawkeye prequel. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What are your observations? Observations. Um, I love a Teen Wolf Rave. Love a Teen Wolf Rave. Love yes. just like random techno DJ showing up to play high school parties. Who was also an assassin. Yeah. Which is like, that's epic. Assassin, I want a show about him. Assassin and noted DJ. Like, yeah. Yeah. I want a show about a <laughs> really DJ funny. assassin. Um, um, I was also like, this is cool. I like the th- that their bonfire is like a giant cyclone. But I was like, but it's not as good as the other two raves, which were like indoor with black lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were trying. They had a light show going on. They did. Yeah. But the season, I mean, like the season two rave... With Erica and Jackson and Isaac. Is incredibly good. Except for that dynamic still is like, what was What was happening? So why didn't they just make Isaac bisexual? I mean, he is an hour of hearts. (laughs) Cowards. Cowards. And then obviously the season three rave is top notch. Chef's kiss. Top notch. Yes. Is there any parties in season five? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's part of why it's so frustrating. There's no parties. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This was like a good sort of teen relationships sprinkled with plot, I think. Yeah. I love when we kind of return back to the central premise of the show, which is that they are teen wolves. Yes. Yeah. Also, like this was not a, this was not an explicitly Stidia episode, but I like when they're teamed up together. They get so much done. They're so good at it. And he, and like Styles is kind of a little like aggressive with her, but like, it's only because he has so much faith in her, mm-hmm. you know, he wants, he, he wants to be the one to push her. And he also feels like he's the only person who can, he's the only person t- like he under- plugged into Lydia's He frequencies. really does understand Lydia in a way that nobody else does. Yeah. Including you, creepy parish. Mm. Anyway, 
So upsetting. Do you have any observations? Yeah, I mean, well, we talked about most of mine, but um, I just was thinking about the scene of Scott in Derek's bedroom picking up the gun, and outside Derek's window, you can just see a skyscraper, like a high-rise building. Where is Beacon Hills? Where is Beacon Hills? Beacon County only has 300,000 people in it. Where is there a downtown with a skyscraper? Where? I am from Oakland County, Michigan, where there are no skyscrapers and over a million people live there. So what, what is the downtown of Beacon Hills? What is it? This is, this would help if they had a show, a spit, like a show Bible with specs, you know? Yeah. Or even, you know what like I actually, like I was thinking, I was complaining to you the other day about how um, Psych is set in Santa Barbara and it's clearly just not being filmed in Santa Barbara and all of their establishing shots yeah. are in Santa Barbara. I would have no questions about Beacon Hills and the typography and the geography if there were some establishing shots. Yeah. And there just are go none. film some like Redwoods in, in Northern California. We'd be like, okay. Yeah. Cool. A, and a downtown. Yeah. Of some kind. Yes. Yep. It's not, it's not quite a skyscraper. I'm exaggerating, but it's a very tall building. Like would not be in a town that size. No, the windows were so small and that's how you know it's a big building. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other observations? I'm out. That aren't about city planning. It's just so annoying. I know. I know. But like, that's a, that's a horse we keep beating. But it's like, you know, I can forgive it. And then it shows up in a scene and I'm like, I can't ignore this. Other people certainly could. Also, they could have totally just fixed the problem by saying there was, like, more people in... He could have been, like, Beacon County has a million people in it. We'd be like, okay. Okay. Or just don't... Because non... Like like you said, like, you're you're from Oakland. Non-urban counties have that many people in them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And also, like, we've seen that Derek's... um, The building that he lives in is, like, relatively tall. It's, like, five or six stories. There could just be nothing out his window. Yeah. There could just be nothing. Yep. Anywho... Um, do you have pack stats? I do have pack stats. We've got two eyes. Um, Scott like shows off for Parrish a little bit. This is a little glow. I really think that Scott feels sexy when he does that. You know, I can feel him feeling like a little into himself and I'm like, yeah, girl, get it. He He is the hot girl. He is the hot girl. He looks sexy with his hair pushed back. Yeah, he do. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other time when he gets his powers back after Mason pulls the plug, shout out to Mason. He didn't even know what he was doing, but he, he believed Scott. He just took him on faith and Mm -hmm. that was great. And he saved them. Scott also is wearing white in this episode and Tyler Posey looks great in white. He really, really does. Um, uh, no claws. I put a question mark for shirts because um, Parrish is just <laughs> fully naked. Then, yeah, that counts. Fully naked. Jackson is fully naked in half the times we counted him shirtless in, yes. in the early um, seasons. But it feels weird to just do like one tally mark for like a fully naked man. It's like Give a, tally, <laughs> a tally mark plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, tally, two tally marks, one for the top, one for the bottom. <laughs> Nice. Um, no ads that I noticed, which means that if there were any, they were not egregious. Um, They're probably not doing a very good job at advertising. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We will never return to the Reese's heyday, and that's fine. Um, but as of this time of recording, no sirens, just some mariachi music. That's okay. Yeah. That's a fun thing to shake it up, you know, for the listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have an alpha of the week? You know, you ask me this question every time, and I know that it's part of the podcast, and then I really have to think about it. Uh, it goes 50-50 to Parrish and Mason, right? Yeah. They saved the day. Parrish saved the day, and Mason really saved the day. Parrish shot somebody, and Mason um, unplugged an amp. 
congratulations. To, the, to meet the same ends, yes, though, you know? Yes, I know. I'm very, because people would have died. Yeah. There's people that are dying. Great. Yeah. I think that about wraps it up. I think it does. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the Teen Wolf Rewolf, we hope that you uh, leave us a review on iTunes, as Julia alerted, <laughs> alluded to earlier in the episode. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can find us at Tumblr and Teen Wolf Rewolf and our Facebook group, which is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. If you'd like to buy us a coffee, you can do that at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. No press. Uh, it's just to cover the cost of the podcast. Literally nothing more. Um, and we are inter- like eternally indebted to you guys for being such supportive listeners. Um, other than that, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ow-woo! Ow-woo!